Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. As you know, we start our show off with our blast from the past historical moment, compliments of PI Museum, the Museum for Private Investigator, Detective Spies and Private Eyes Artifacts. And the question of the day is, we'll give the answer at the end of the show, the question is, where was the ACE fingerprint kit manufactured? If you are an old fingerprint person, if you've ever had any involvement with fingerprints, you might know the answer to this question, the ACE fingerprint kit. Today our show is entitled Privilege... A matter of trust. Attorney-client privilege and attorney work product is, boy, is it frequently misunderstood and often misinterpreted. And if you've ever been a client of an attorney, if you've been a private investigator or a paralegal working under an attorney's direction, today's show is something you'd be interested in. Today's Chicago PI, Susan Carlson, has researched this subject, and she'll share tidbits of what she's learned as it applies to the important work of private investigators. First, Susan Carlson. She's the founder and CEO of Carlson Investigations Incorporated. She specializes in working for lawyers who specialize in lit- civil litigation and judgment collection. And she's actually, Susan's real specialty, she tells me, is interviewing gang members. And she's assisted in a number of high-profile cases in the Chicago area. She holds the National Association of Legal Investigators Certified Legal Investigator Distinction. She's certified in the Reed Technique of Interview and Interrogation. And she's a member of two international associations, Intelnet, and World Association of Detectives. She's been featured on blog radio, and several of her articles have appeared in PI Magazine, a national trade magazine. And finally, Susan holds a bachelor's cum laude from the University of Miami. And before becoming a private investigator, she enjoyed a very successful career as a media producer running her own production company. So Susan is here now. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Francie. Thanks for joining me. This is going to be fun. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. So I already mentioned that you were a media producer prior to becoming a PI. What does a media producer do? Well, a media producer uh, does various things depending on which uh, form of the media you are working in, and I worked in all three. I worked for print photographers producing and facilitating uh, fashion catalogs mm-hmm. and uh, national ad campaigns for merchandise and products. Okay. And I also worked in the uh, television commercial industry providing locations 
and did work on a couple of films. The most notable was the movie Sixteen Candles, and I provided the location for Jake's house. So... You, when you say provide locations, you're, what, what are you doing? The research to locate something? Location scout. You know, if, if, if somebody needs to shoot a location, you'll probably never look at anything the same after I tell you this, but say you're flipping through a magazine and you see an ad for Kellogg's Corn Flakes, mm-hmm. and it's in someone's commercial. Mm-hmm. And there's a family sitting around eating cereal. All of the props, all of the locations, every cornflake is placed in that bowl a certain way. What the models, what the talent are wearing, somebody had to piece that all together, and and that was my profession for about twenty five years. I worked for uh, major major clients, including the Playboy Centerfolds. As a Playboy Centerfold? <laughs> no, I was producing the Playboy Centerfold. Actually, believe it or not, deciding what they would wear, and you know, you think they're not wearing anything, but they are. <laughs> they're wearing something. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a fascinating career. Uh, it really, really was, and it was. Uh, so many people ask me, "Well, how did you get into investigations?" And that was my the, next question. <laughs> it's the same thought process, really, as seeing a problem and getting it done. And in that case, it would be uh, an art director or a director would tell me, "Here's what I want, Susan. Now you go do it." And in the legal business, it's here's a case or here's a defendant who's charged with a crime. You go find us the reasonable doubt. And um, it, it's the same thought process in investigations and production. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So how did you go from being a media producer to getting involved in the investigation business? Mm-hmm. I had met a private investigator who has a very well-known firm here in Chicago. And I met him when I was personally going through my own divorce. And I was thinking about hiring him to uh, look for my ex-husband's baseball card collection. Ah. And incidentally, we've since become best friends. And you and the husband, or you and the yeah, fiance? my my ex husband and I. But okay. that's how I met this private private investigator, and he knew what my job was as a location scout and a producer. And he was working on a non compete case, needed to get into a certain business, learn some information, and take photographs. Mm-hmm. And he'd been unable to do so. And he called me up and said, "Do you think you can get in there and take some pictures?" And I said, sure, I can do that. I'd, I'd actually always wanted to be a private investigator. And uh, I said, yeah, I can do that. So he drives me out to the location, and I, I went in posing that I was a location scout, looking for a certain type of warehouse, and chatted the guy up and read his mail upside down. And every time he'd turn around, I'd look in his trash. And I took the pictures and got back in the PI's car, and he said, did you get anything? I said, yeah, here it is. And he goes, do you want to work for me? <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I did. And I chucked my uh, career of 25 years and went to work for him. Just like that? Just like that, on the, on the ride home. Wow, that's amazing. Now, some people listening to this show might, uh, might react to what you were just saying and, and think that's a violation of privacy and a violation of all kinds of things. What do you, what do you respond to that? You know, it, probably in retrospect it, it was, except as far as we knew, there was no litigation yet. Once, uh, and I know this now, of course, once someone is represented and there, there is a matter before the court, you cannot interview people or go in undercover because they have the privilege of having their attorney with them when they're being questioned. So if this case existed today under 
same circumstances if if there was already a case and lawyers were involved? No, I would not be able to do that. Well, I'm thinking that even if there was no case, um, somebody listening might think that, hmm, somebody going into somebody else's business and looking at what was on their desk and looking in the trash um, might feel very uncomfortable and like a violation of privacy. Um, Trash on private property is a violation of of privacy, but I was sitting there and it's face up in a can and I'm glancing at it, Uh, and again, it was not used in court, and and again, today, probably, I might do things differently. How long ago was this? Twelve years ago. Twelve years, yeah. I think things have probably changed considerably on uh, maybe what's appropriate and what isn't. Well, you're so right. I I think that... uh, you know, the the way that private investigators used to operate, there was so much more undercover and pretext that went on back in the day that that can't go on today, although it probably still does in certain circumstances. But again, if if uh, if people are in litigation, the rules are different. And then, of course, the other thing that there's splitting hairs here, but I was a valid producer. I was and actually still am licensed by the mm-hmm. state of Illinois as a production company. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was entirely possible that I could have shot a commercial at his sure. place. Sure. So it wasn't and, uh, something that was totally out of the realm of reality. And it sounds like you were to also investigating, um, you were saying a non-compete, so you were investigating somebody had, who had left the client of the private investigator you were working for who was uh, who had signed a non-compete clause or non-compete agreement, and they were violating that agreement. That's true. And, of course, at the time, I didn't even understand everything about what that meant, but the private investigator explained to me that his client used to employ the, the new subject who, who we were going out to his premises. Mm-hmm. And it was suspected by the private investigator's client that this guy had taken some of his clients in uh, violation of a non-compete, he had not sued him or, uh, you know, filed this in the court system yet. It was all in preparation in his mind. He didn't know what he was going to do. So he basically needed information and mm-hmm. needed to see if if it was indeed true. Had the guy violated the, the contract that he'd signed or, or was he just opening his own business? And uh, just by having the business in itself was some sort of a breach of their contract. Although again, it wasn't wasn't my involvement. It was just you know I was hired to do this sure. one task, right. and it it just parlayed itself into what exists today. And w- did the guy turn out to be in violation? You know, I have no idea. Oh, you don't? You no. never knew what happened? <laughs> no, I really don't. Okay. I, I just uh, you know shortly after that, this private investigator used me. You know, I, I got. Then I got what's called a PERC card, a Permanent Employee Registration Card. Okay. And I was, it, it entitles me to have a license to work for him. And I had to get 3,000 hours of apprenticeship mm-hmm. before I could sit and take the exam to get my own license. Yeah. Yeah, and, in California, uh, it's 6,000. Yeah, I, I, I think California is probably the, the most difficult state I've ever heard of, but I think Illinois might be the second most. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Very, very stringent rules and and laws apply and, and and at the time I was actually still running the other business as well because I couldn't afford what I was getting paid as an intern was almost next to nothing mm-hmm. and you know I had a mortgage and children and 
I needed to actually keep my other business up as well. And I had two separate phone lines, and I almost didn't know whether to answer the phone props or perps, depending on <laughs> who was calling me. Yeah, sounds like you had a lot on your plate. Uh, I did, and I, I remember the day that I finally just said, no, I was not a producer anymore. I was a full-fledged investigator, and, and from there I figured, okay, I better make this work. Well, you evidently have. Thank you, I have. So let's talk about attorney-client privilege first. Yes. You, um, well, tell me about the recognized forms of privilege relationships. Um, legally and constitutionally, there are only a handful, and people may not realize this, but we are afforded by the Constitution what's known as the attorney-client privilege, which is probably the most well-known and oldest in existence, mm-hmm. but also the clergy parishioner, health care provider, patient, and you could call that doctor-patient, but doesn't necessarily have to be a doctor. Okay. And law enforcement and his confidential informant, that is a recognized privilege. Uh, newspaper and source. Mm-hmm. We've all heard about newspaper reporters you know, going to prison for, for right. not revealing their sources, and uh, that's not just because they are, they are allowed by law to protect those sources. And then in some jurisdictions, the spousal privilege exists. But there is no such thing as, as client investigator privilege. And that's what prompted me to start doing some research on this subject because I thought it was widely misunderstood. Well, and you had a specific situation that caused you to look into it, didn't you? Yes, I did. Um, I had a potential client. She became a client. And in all of our correspondences where she would be emailing me, in the subject line of her email, she would say, attorney-client privilege. And I, I knew this wasn't the case, and I hadn't really gotten involved in her case yet. I was just reading things that she was sending me. She was contemplating litigation over a wrongful termination of employment suit. Mm -hmm. And quite often, clients will seek out investigators before they seek out attorneys. And that's a bad thing because there is no privilege. And even if the privilege had existed, it wouldn't have been attorney-client privilege. So this communication kept going on and on, and I, I didn't really address it until she came into my office for her first real consultation to sign my retainer agreement, and and then I would be officially on her case. And I explained to her, and I said, you know, I just want you to understand what the attorney-client privilege is and, you know, why are you putting it in the subject line of your correspondence to me? Susan, I want to hear her reaction, but we need to take a quick break. Sure. That's Chicago private investigator Susan Carlson back in a moment. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. 
It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Private investigator Susan Carlson and I've been discussing attorney-client privilege. And Susan, you were just saying that, talking about advising your potential client that attorney-client privilege didn't exist with a private investigator. What did she say? Well, of course, she was like, of course it does. And, you know, I said, well, I think that you've been watching a lot of TV and maybe you have an impression as to how this works. So I explained to her that the attorney-client privilege is between her and an attorney once she gets one. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a minute, and I explained to her uh, that the privilege between her and I is an ethical privilege. There's an ethical code uh, with the Illinois Department of Professional Regulation that you you can't disclose your you know what your client tells you. And there's of course moral code that you wouldn't want to do that anyway. And then there's scruples, and there's there's those three things that are common sense. And I explained to my client that, of course, I'm not going to discuss your case with anybody, except I do have staff, and it may be, we may need to do that. I said, but, but there's no uh, legal 
privilege here, and if I am subpoenaed, then I'm going to have to turn over my files. And then, of course, she was very frightened as to what goes on. And I said, well, the one way that we can solve this problem is, you know, you need to hire a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And I was, she did have a valid case. And one of the things that I do is really listen to things and then, you know, advise. I always give, like, maybe three different names of attorneys that I think are appropriate. I said, you need to get attorney on, on board right away. And then, of course, once she did, then my communication with the attorney, because it was considered strategy, and we'll get into that, that's privileged. But giving her the information directly does not, is not covered under the attorney-client privilege or work product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without the attorney's involvement. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it is misunderstood because often people don't uh, realize that. And I and and I'm the same. I tell people all the time, uh, you don't want to hire a private private investigator outright. You want an attorney involved because mm-hmm. you want to be protected, and I want to be protected. Yes. And even then, sometimes your communications aren't protected mm-hmm. unless you you take certain steps to do so. Because not every communication that an attorney has with a third-party consultant, and we are third-party consultants, they're not protected uh, under work product automatically. There has to be a certain threshold and criteria that those communications meet in order to actually legally qualify as work product. And if we're not careful to do it that way, then, yeah, sure enough, we can, we can be subpoenaed. Our work can be uh, discoverable. Okay, so you're you're saying work product, which is a little bit different than attorney-client privilege. They are different. Yeah. So uh, let's go back to attorney-client privilege. So okay. originally, um, attorney-client privilege was designed so that the attorney wouldn't have to testify against his client. That's right. Then what happened? Well, over time, it, it, I like to use the word morph, but uh, it morphed to become a matter of law that the protection was really afforded to the client. And it, I'll, I'll give you the definition in a moment, but the purpose of it is, is that it's a privilege that the client has solely, and in order to waive it, it has to be waived by the client and, and not the attorney. And technically, I'll give you the, the definition as uh, Black's Law Dictionary, which if the readers aren't familiar with it, it's, it's the be-all, end-all for legal wordage and definitions. And mm-hmm. in order to get it correct, I'm going to read it because it, they use kind of flowery verbiage, I, I like to say. But here's what it is. The attorney-client privilege exists where legal advice of any kind is sought from a professional legal advisor in his capacity as such. The communications related to that purpose made in confidence by the client are at his insistence permanently protected from disclosure by counsel or by the legal advisor, except the privilege be waived. And that waiver has to be done only by the client, not by the attorney. That's correct. And again, this is, you know, what uh, the beginning of that, that definition, uh, make it clear, is that it's the lawyer in his capacity as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Because a communication, uh, you know, if, if they bump into somebody on a golf course and he's talking about something and it's not really uh, legal advice as a lawyer, then that does not, the privilege does not attach. 
so the beginning part of that definition is is important. But uh, Susan, doesn't an, a client only need to seek advice from an attorney for the privilege to kick in? That is correct. You don't even have to pay a dollar. And technically, you know, sort of here I'm going to contradict what I just said, but it's what's in the uh, client's mind as whether or not he was seeking advice. And the lawyer can actually come back and say, well, I wasn't giving legal advice, but if if the client thinks that was legal advice, the privilege can attach. But what I mean by in his capacity is uh, if if someone is speaking to a lawyer and doesn't necessarily know they're a lawyer, they're out on the golf course and they're chatting about something, that's not going to have the attorney-client privilege okay. because it has to be something advice that the lawyer is giving as a lawyer. Okay. But it doesn't need to, the, the attorney or the client does not have to hire that lawyer. And something that's actually done sort of under the table, and I call it kind of a sleazy move, but it's quite common in divorces, for example, you know, there's about five divorce firms here in Chicago that are, that are known to be rather aggressive that you wouldn't want to go up against. Mm-hmm. So quite often, if one party is going to be seeking counsel and hire a lawyer, they will go interview and seek advice from all the, the, mm. the high-power you know, pit bulls so that their spouse can't hire them. Interesting. I know. It's done all the time. Mm. Now, um, there's, privilege also exists if there's a uh, co-counsel for multiple clients as well, correct? That's correct, and the same goes for class action suits. But if there's multiple clients and a couple of attorneys, it's, the theory being is that it's all for the same purpose and that privilege does exist. And um, have you looked at cases where there's been a violation of the attorney-client privilege? Well, yes, and actually it's, there's probably two things that are the easiest to prove in malpractice cases. And if that has been breached, then that is a malpractice case. And it, it's an easy thing to prove if, the, if there's a paper trail or a verbal trail as to the attorney has said something. And the other big thing is missing a statute of limitations. But any time that the attorney talks about a client's case, then that, that privilege is, is broken. Yeah, and there, and there are reasons that an attorney would be allowed to talk about a case without a violation of attorney-client privilege. Well, yes, and uh, there are exceptions, and of course one of them, the, main, the obvious one is if the client says so. Okay. I'm sorry, I thought for sure I had this off. Um, if the client, then of course it can be waived. And the other things are if, uh, if a lawyer has to defend something mm-hmm. and or say he's in a dispute over his fees, then he is allowed to talk about the case. Right. Or if the lawyer knows that a crime is going to be committed or something to that effect, then, then that privilege is allowed to be waived. I'm sorry. I'm disconnecting that other line. Don't worry about it. So those are some of the exemptions, uh, disclosure in a fee dispute, dis- disclosure to prevent a crime or have knowledge of a crime, or if uh, if if waiving that privilege would would prevent a death or a serious bodily injury, then the lawyer is allowed to say something. 
um, the criminal so aspect let's, let's is... Let's this a little bit. An attorney is representing a client, and he tells them about all the, say, all the past crimes that he's done. Um, that is covered by attorney-client privilege. Yes, it is. But if he tells the attorney that he's going to go out tomorrow and do something that would be a crime, then that would not be. That's correct. And I, I had a case that was a very important matter here, and unfortunately it did not go very well for the client. But I have a client who was incarcerated and wrongly convicted of a murder for hire. And um, a couple of gangbangers had actually done a strong-arm robbery and had uh, shot and grazed a woman. And it ended up that her husband was charged and convicted of the crime. Uh-huh. And one of the gangbangers who was in prison had asked to see an attorney for his matter, and the attorney went in to talk to him, and in his discussion in the jail, the uh, the gangbanger told him that he had lied and wanted to pass a note to one of the co-defendants so that they could get their story straight. And the lawyer immediately tried to bring this to the attention of the court because it was a serious, serious issue. And he was shut down, and they appealed the matter, and it's like one of the worst decisions I've ever seen and bothers me to this day because it, it should have been able to have been used because that that defendant then came into court and completely lied, and the lawyer knew that he was going to be lying on, under oath. And uh, that is an example of when a lawyer can go and uh, tell him, tell anybody what the client has said, but in this case, the court ruled against it, stating it was attorney-client privilege. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, you know, when you're talking about malpractice, there's another uh, another way that I'm I've been aware of that uh, that attorney-client privilege can be um, penetrated, and that's when, on a criminal case, um, an attorney, a new attorney, or or the defendant files a claim of ineffective assistance of counsel on his prior attorney. Yes. And anything goes then. Anything that person has told him, including admitting to the crime in question, um, can be disclosed. Yes, because that, that you're talking about the attorney that's, that's then been charged with the ineffectiveness, correct? Right. Yes, absolutely, and it's, it's really a good reason not to, not to charge your attorney with that if, if he does have knowledge that that is very bad for you because the attorney is allowed to use that uh, in his self-defense. That's, that's the same thing like with a fee dispute or in his self-defense. Yes, he can, he can waive that privilege. In another case, like say the, uh, an attorney for the Enron case or one of those big fraud cases, mm-hmm. uh, if they find out that this advice was sought based on fraud, um, that would be something they could talk about. Absolutely. Absolutely, because the, the basic underlining matter that's discussed cannot be uh, sought out based on fraud, and if so, then the client loses the privilege. Okay. So uh, there really technically is no such thing as investigator attorney or investigator um, client privilege. No, there's no investigator client privilege, and there's really no investigator attorney privilege per se, just just by saying that it exists. Right. Uh, the attorney has to consult with an investigator, and the investigator uh, has to really show that it's based on strategy 
and the investigator is an extension, an arm of the attorney to facilitate his communications with the client and the way the attorney wants to represent the case. Okay. And uh, correspondence with the attorney, if you couch it as strategy and subject line, just as, just as the civilian client came in and in her emails to me, she wrote attorney-client privilege, which didn't do any good. When I'm communicating with attorneys about a case, I will put on there regarding strategy. Okay. Uh, because it's the thoughts and memos, memorialization, strategy, facilitation of the lawyers moving the case down the road, so to speak. Okay. All right. We're talking about attorney, about the relationship between attorneys, clients, and private investigators. We're going to take a short commercial break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today is Chicago PI Susan Carlson. Uh, we've been talking about attorney-client privilege. Now let's talk about work product. Uh, Susan, what is work product, attorney work product, and what's the difference between that and attorney-client privilege? Okay. Um, first I'll tell you what the difference is, and then I'll give you the definition. The difference of attorney-client privilege is it's the privilege between the attorney and client that is protected and gives the protection to the client. That has nothing to do with third-party consultants, which the work product is. This And the definition, actually, uh, from the Supreme Court Rule 201B2, recognizes a privilege as to matters in preparation for trial. And to quote the court, it's material prepared by or for a party in preparation for trial is subject to discovery only if it does not contain or disclose the theories, mental impressions, or litigation plans of the party's attorney. Mm-hmm. So based on that Supreme Court rule, I'll quote you the Black's definition of work product because, again, that's, like I said earlier, that's where everybody goes for a definitions of okay. such. Okay. And Black says, work product is tangible material or its intangible equivalent in written or oral form that either was prepared by or for a lawyer of prepared or prepared litigation, either planned or in progress. So that's what the third party, being a private investigator or an accountant or a publicist, somebody who's working uh, on behalf of a client but directly for the attorney on litigation or proposed uh, possible litigation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And the work product doctrine came from where? And that came from a very famous case. It's called the Covell case. And that was a case out of the Second Circuit in New York in 1961. The case is known as U.S. v. Covell. Wait, wait and, a minute. Uh, Susan, wasn't that the attorney-client privilege, the Covell privilege? No, Covell is a work product. Oh, okay. I thought, I thought it was, excuse me, I thought it was Hickman, but go ahead. Uh, Covell was the first work product privilege, and the reason being um, Cameron and Cameron was a uh, legal firm in New York representing a client named Hoops. Okay. And they hired uh, Louis Covell, who had been a former IRS agent. He was an accountant. And they hired him to do some work on the case. And uh, his material, they, they wanted to use his his findings and not protect it by privilege and he claimed no that it was it was protected material and he lost his case and he went to jail for a year mm-hmm. and the case went up on appeal and he won and he was let out and that's why it's the the whole work product is is called the Covell privilege because Louis Covell went to jail so that us private investigators and third party people wouldn't have to mm-hmm. So even though he won on appeal, he still served a year in, in yeah, prison. Yeah, he uh, did. He jail. served that year. And, yeah. you know, it's like like I said, sometimes when the uh, journalists, you know, go sit in prison until they're let out just to 
to take their stance. That's what Colville did, and he was he was really the the first one, or that's the famous decision anyway, and that's what laid the groundwork so that we, as third party consultants, private investigators, we can we can communicate with our attorney clients without without the fear of having to be forced to testify or having our records subpoenaed. And there was a decision after that, though, that kind of undermined the Coville decision, wasn't there? Well, it, it attempted to, but it actually spurred a new decision, and I think you're talking about Ackert. Uh-huh. And it was very similar, and Ackert tried to claim the Coville privilege, and I don't think anybody had challenged it until uh, 1999, and the same, same court out of New York, uh, U.S. v. Ackert, and the difference was Ackert was an investment banker, and he was employed by Goldman Sachs. And he'd approached a company. He had some sort of idea that would save this company a lot of money on its income taxes. And uh, lawyers that were already working for the company met with Ackert on a number of occasions to discuss his plan. And Ackert later got in trouble and was investigated by the IRS, and he tried to claim the Colville privilege so that he wouldn't have to testify. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it originally worked. The lower court agreed with, with Ackert, but as that case went up on appeal, it was reversed. And the reason being was that the way that court interpreted that decision is that the, the work product privilege does not exist if the work is not indispensable between the, uh, the communication between the attorney and client. And his work wasn't really in preparation for litigation. It was just advice. So if it's just advice and not in preparation for litigation, it doesn't reach the work product doctrine that was created by Koval. Hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, and then there was a further case that reinforced the work product, the Calvin Klein case. Yes, and the reason that this one is important is now we're we're moving away from accountants and uh, private investigators, and we're into publicists. And, you know, oftentimes, especially in the high-profile cases, attorneys will want to bring in a, a publicist. And you, again, have to be careful that the publicist can't be just giving uh, advice on how a situation will affect the client or how, how to make the media make the client look good. It has to be actual strategy part of the case. And uh, that famous case was actually Calvin Klein trademark versus Watchner, and I think that was out of the same New York court. It seems like they've got a lot of um, case law making decisions up there. So, so back to investigators, um, Susan. Um, you were saying that a lot of times some of the investigators' information uh, is not protected. What kinds of things would not be protected? Yes, and well, there's a case regarding that one too. That's Wyland versus Trainer, and in that case, the investigator notes, uh, which had been pre- prepared for a client prior to an attorney becoming involved w- with the case, those were discoverable, and they had to turn those over. Mm-hmm. So, if as investigators, uh, if we're working on a case before a lawyer is involved, everything we do is discoverable. Right. Once the lawyer is involved, uh, we, if we take a written statement, for example, and that person is going to testify, then that statement is discoverable. But if we want to give that information to our attorney, cli- our attorney client, and 
have it not be discoverable, we need to call them and tell them verbally. And because work- anything the attorney writes down is privileged. And if you're working for a client who is, uh, has become his own attorney, mm-hmm. what we call in pro per, mm-hmm. what, what applies there? A pro per client is afforded legally the same privilege as, a, as an attorney. As, as if he were represented by an attorney, he is representing himself. However, the prosecutors don't make it easy for them. Uh, they, and and they're, sometimes they don't know. They're not attorneys. They you know, never went to law school. They don't know that they have certain privileges, but some of them are very good jailhouse lawyers, and they know. But any communications, and I have, I have a couple cases right now where the defendant, my client, is officially of record the attorney. And they actually have to file a motion and let the court grant them permission to be their own attorney. And once that happens, then I can communicate. I can go in and have private visits in the side room. I can send letters. He can send letters to me that are not open up and read. Mm-hmm. We can have private communications by phone that are prearranged. But you could also be a civil um, litigant and represent yourself. Yes, and again, the same privilege would then apply because you are the lawyer and you are the client. You know, you're not really a lawyer, but you're acting as a lawyer and the privileges do exist. Okay, all right. So um, so you recommend, if, um, if I understand correctly, <clears throat> if... If something isn't going to be reported, you shouldn't write it down. Is that what you're saying? Well, what I'm saying is, if, if, first of all, if the information is bad for your client, you don't want to write it down because you don't want to have the problem of having it being discovered. And if you're taking a, a witness statement from somebody and it's bad information, uh, don't write it down because if that person is called to the stand, and you're called as an impeachment witness, then your report's going to go in. So your, your notes, your thoughts, your impressions, and your summaries are not discoverable, but a formal written report can be, under a certain circumstances, discoverable. And uh, impeachment witness means that um, somebody told you, uh, a witness told you something different than they're testifying to, and now you're being put on the stand to impeach their credibility. Yes, or they told something different to somebody else that they told me. Okay. That's impeachment. So sometimes, you know, I mean, really, it's, it's, a private investigator doesn't want to get called to the stand. You know, you hope that the attorney can put on a case without you in a lot of instances. But if a witness is, is testifying in court about something that's hurting your client and it's not true, and you have information of such by former uh, statement that you've gotten, then once you get up to testify to that, then your statement, whether it's recorded or written, is part of the, part of the record. You have to turn it over. All right. We're going to take a break. Stay tuned. More to come with private investigator Susan Carlson and the answer to the Blast in the Past question. News. 
opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll free right now at 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. That's it. That's it. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. The answer to our blast from past history moment and then back to my guest, Susan Carlson. So the question was, um, let me back up a second. Where was the ACE fingerprint kit manufactured? And Susan, I'll let you give that answer. Oh, you mean I'm supposed to answer that one? Yeah. Well, but I've been fed the info. <laughs> I well, think that's it was okay. Chicago. That's all right. <laughs> 
Well, we, we, you know, we're very well known for polygraphs and fingerprints and all that good stuff. In Chicago. In Chicago, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the answer is Chicago. Chicago. Okay. All right. So that's the answer. The Ace Fingerprint Kit um, was manufactured in this, around the 1950s by a company called Fingerprint Equipment Laboratory, Chicago, mm-hmm. Illinois. Interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't think that was the first fingerprint kit, but it yeah. evidently was a well-known one at the time. I'll have to look them up and see where their address was. Yeah. It's probably uh, a high-rise now. Yeah, I don't have that information. <laughs> right. Okay. Interesting. Thanks for the tidbit. Yeah. Okay, so back to our conversation about work product and work uh, attorney client privilege. Uh, we were just t- talking on break about uh, turning over statements um, to the other side, which whether they work, you know, and whether they're deemed work product or attorney-client privilege. So the issue in a criminal case, not civil, because civil rules are all different, but mm-hmm. the issue in a criminal case is you turn over information if you intend to call the witness to testify. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And the discussion we were just having that is different between what Susan um, does or that people do in Illinois versus California, and I don't know about the rest of the country, but in California we had a decision, um, let's see, 2004 I think it was, called the Roland decision. And um, besides any written materials or notes, um, we also have to turn over any um, anything said oral by that same witness mm-hmm. to the other side, to the prosecutor. Here, we don't have to, uh, the defense does not have to turn over inculpatory information. However, the prosecutor is required by law to turn over exculpatory. Correct. But if the defense here in Illinois has, has uh, inculpatory information about their client, they do not have to turn it over. Yeah, I don't think it's as much about the client as it is about the witness. Well, again, but here, if you're taking a witness statement and they tell you, you're having a conversation with a witness and they tell you that they saw your client do it, you do not, in Illinois, have to turn that over. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid uh, there, there could be a good case made in California that you would have to. And I believe you, and I know that the... The thing is that the rules of evidence do vary from state to state, which makes it extremely difficult. And, you know, always have to check with your attorney. But, um, you know, whenever I find out anything that's inculpatory, I will ask the lawyer. I will say, do you want the good news and the bad news? And I will let them tell me whether or not they want to hear the bad news. Mm-hmm. They always want to hear it, but it's, they don't have to turn it over. True. Mm-hmm. So- would you like, are you, do you have some last thoughts that you would like to leave our listeners with? Um, I just think it's really important that people realize that uh, there is sometimes a paper trail or an information trail uh, when hiring a private investigator. Even, <clears throat> excuse me, even with and without an attorney involvement, you do really need to be careful. And we as private investigators, it's very important that we know the laws and that we we know our limitations because I've had this conversation a number of times with attorneys, or excuse me, with other investigators that have said, oh, you know, anything the client tells me, you know, is secret. And, and it really isn't. There, 
it's very difficult to have a secret in, in litigation. And if you want something to be secret, you really know, you need to know how to, to help make it a secret. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate all your work on this, Susan. Uh, it's been very enlightening, and I think that the message that um, our listeners should get, if nothing else, if you're in a client of an attorney or if you're a private investigator, a paralegal, or any other uh, expert working for an attorney, that you just need to be aware that there are problems in this area and uh, talk with the attorney. Let the Absolutely. attorney make the decisions on what is attorney-client privilege and what is work product. Absolutely. My okay. motto is, uh, when in doubt, don't write it out. Right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And Denise, since you're a frequent contributor to articles to PI Magazine, I just want to take a moment and recognize the PI Magazine group that includes PI Magazine, PI Bookstore, PI Gear, and PI First for website design. And next week's show will be an encore presentation of I Know You're Lying, Reading the Cues and Clues with Expert and Consultant to the TV series Lie to Me, Dr. Paul Ekman. And the upcoming shows, real briefly, in the next few weeks will be P.I. Miriam Edish Etchelmeyer, coming to us from Germany, former U.S. Attorney and P.I. David Queen, author of the Private Investigator's Legal Manual, and Florida Investigator Carol Moore and then criminal profiler Brent Turvey. So, Susan, thank you so much. You've been thank a you. very, very nice guest. Thank you. I appreciate all the research you've done on this. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Tune in next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's TI's Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to PI's Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.